Chapter 16 of The Range Dwellers by B. M. Bauer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One more race. A faint toot toot warned from behind. They've got out the other car, said Beryl, a bit tremulously, and added, It's a much bigger one than this. I let her out all I dared for the road we were traveling, and then there we were at that blessed gate. I hadn't thought of it till we were almost upon it, but it didn't take much thought. There was only one thing to do, and I did it. I caught Beryl by an arm and pulled her down to the floor of the car, not taking my eyes from the trail, or speaking. Then I drove the car forward like a cannonball. We hit that gate like a locomotive and scarcely felt the jar. I knew the make of that motor and what it could do. The air was raining splinters and bits of lamps, but we went right on as if nothing had happened, and as fast as the winding trail would allow. I knew that beyond the pass the road ran straight and level for many a mile, and that we could make good time if we got the chance. Beryl sat half-turned in the seat, glancing back, but for me I was busy watching the trail and taking the sharp turns in a way to lift the hair of one not used to traveling by lightning. I will confess it was ticklish going at that pace, and there were places when I took longer chances than I had any right to take. But, you see, I had Beryl, and I meant to keep her. That Weaver fellow must have had a bigger bump of caution than I, or else he'd never raced. I could hear them coming, but they didn't seem to be gaining. Rather, they lost ground, if anything. Presently, Beryl spoke again, still looking back. Don't you think, Mr. Carleton, this joke has gone far enough? You have demonstrated what you could do, if... I risked both our lives to glance at her. This joke, I said, is going to Osage. I want to marry you, and you know it. The Lord and this car willing, I'm going to. Still, if you really have been deceived in my intentions and insist upon going back, I shall stop, of course, and give you back to your father. But you must do it now, at once, or marry me. She gave me a queer side glance, but she did not insist. Naturally, I didn't stop, either. We shot out into the open, with the windings of the pass behind, and then I turned the old car loose, and maybe we didn't go. She wasn't a bad sort, but I would have given a good deal just then if she had been the yellow peril, stripped for a race. I could hear the others coming up, and we were doing all we could, and I saw to that. I think they'll catch us, Beryl observed maliciously. Their car is a sixty-horsepower Mercedes, and this is about a forty. I cut in tartly, not liking the tone of her, and just plain American make. But don't you fret. My money's on Uncle Sam. She said no more. Indeed, it wasn't easy to talk, with the wind drawing the breath right out of your lungs. She hung on to her hat and to the seat, and she had her hands full, let me tell you. The purr of their motor grew louder, and I didn't like the sound of it a bit. I turned my head enough to see them slithering along close, abominably close. I glimpsed old King in the tonneau, and Weaver humped over the wheel in an unpleasantly businesslike fashion. 
I hopped over my own wheel and tried to coax her up a bit, as if she had been the yellow peril at the wind-up of a close race. For a minute I felt hopeful. Then I could tell by the sound that Weaver was crowding up. "'They're gaining, Mr. Carleton!' Beryl's voice had a new ring in it, and I caught my breath. "'Can you get here and take the wheel and hold her straight without slowing her?' I asked, looking straight ahead. The trail was level and not a bend in it for half a mile or so, and I thought there was a chance for us. "'I've a notion that Friend Weaver has nerves, but I'm going to rattle him if I can. But whatever happens, don't loose your grip and spill us out. I won't hurt them.' Her hands came over and touched mine on the wheel." "'I've raced a bit myself,' she said simply. "'I can drive her straight.' I wriggled out of the way and stood up, glancing down to make sure she was all right. She certainly didn't look much like the girl who was afraid because something made a funny noise. I suspected that she knew a lot about motors. A bullet clipped close. Beryl set her teeth into her lips, but grittily refrained from turning to look. I breathed freer. Now don't get scared, I warned, balanced myself as well as I could in the swaying car, and sent a shot back at them. Weaver came up to my expectations. He ducked, and the car swerved out of the trail and went wavering spitefully across the prairie. Old King sent another rifle bullet my way. I must have made a fine mark, standing up there, and he was a good shot. I was mighty glad he was getting jolted enough to spoil his aim. Weaver came to himself a bit and grabbed frantically for brake and throttle and steering wheel all at once, it looked like. He was rattled all right. He must have given the wheel a twist the wrong way, for their car hit a jutting rock and went up in the air like a pitching bronco, and old King sailed in a beautiful curve out of the tonneau. I was glad Beryl didn't see that. I watched, not breathing, till I saw Weaver scramble into view, and Beryl's dad get slowly to his feet and grope about for his rifle. So I knew there would be no funeral come of it. I fancy his language was anything but mild. Though by that time, we were too far away to hear anything but the faint churnings of their motor as their wheels pawed futilely in the air. They were harmless for the present. Their car tilted ungracefully on its side, and though I hadn't any quarrel with Weaver, I hoped his big Mercedes was out of business. I put away my gun, sat down, and looked at Beryl. She was very white around the mouth, and her hat was hanging by one pin, I remember, but her eyes were fixed unswervingly upon the brown trail stretching lazily across the green of the grassland, and she was driving that big car like an old hand. Well? Her voice was clear and anxious and impatient. It's all right, I said. I took the wheel from her, got into her place, and brought the car down to a six-mile gate. It's all right, I repeated triumphantly. They're out of the race, for a while, at least, and not hurt, that I could see. Just plain old-fashioned mad. Don't look like that, Beryl. I slowed the car more. You're glad, aren't you? And you will marry me, dear. She leaned back, panting a little from the strain of the last half hour, and did things to her hat. I watched her furtively. Then she let her eyes meet mine, those dear, wonderful eyes of hers, and her mouth was half-smiling and very tender. 
You silly. That's every word she said, on my oath. But I stopped the car dead still and gathered her into my arms, and, oh, well, I won't trail off into sentiment. You couldn't appreciate it if I did. It's a mercy Weaver's car was done for, or they could have walked right up and got their hands on us before we'd have known it. End of chapter 16 Recording by Tom Penn